Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, good morning, and good, well, I don't think it's, it may be good evening in some parts of the world. This is uh, Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is June 19, 2010, uh, in the United States anyway. I want to talk about, again, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. I did talk about this in a previous broadcast where the title of the broadcast is The Party is Over. So for those who have not listened to that, I implore you and encourage you to listen to it. But I wanted to mention something else that I think is very important that people don't realize about Sodom and Gomorrah and is linked to Abraham's attitude. Um, I'm going to read this article from chatbat.org, and it's a very important article. It really will explain the reason why the world is in the state that it is right now when I compare other scriptures. But please pay attention to this. This is something that uh, is very enlightening, and, and I think it will help you to understand uh, the condition of the world right now and the reason why we have serious problems. And I quote from this article, The book of Genesis in chapters 13 and 14 and 18 19 tell us about the evil city of Sodom. First we read about Lot, Abraham's nephew. And remember now, this, this situation with Sodom and Gomorrah is linked with the great patriarch Abraham. First we read about how Lot, Abraham's nephew, settled in Sodom despite the fact that his inhabitants were very evil and sinful to God. Sodom is ravaged by the armies, and Abraham comes to the rescue of his captured nephew. Then we find Abraham pleading with God to spare the sinful city and the merit of the righteous residents that may be there, but it turns out that not even ten such persons can be found. Two angels disguised as men visit the city, but only Lot will offer them hospitality. And we're going to get into what that means here in a minute. Lot saves them from the sodomite mob and they in turn rescued him and his two daughters before destroying the city now what were the sins of sodom now i'm going to quote a scripture that i've quoted very often here uh and then i'm going to read what uh, they state here which is in line basically with uh the scripture that i'm going to quote because god gives us the definition of what the sins of sodom is and we must read what god states first before we read what any man says so in ezekiel chapter 16 starting in verse 49 tells you the sins of Sodom. Now, I know most people, when they think of Sodom, they immediately think of homosexuality, which, by the way, does have something to do with it, but it's much more than homosexuality. And let me read this in the contemporary English version Bible for clarity's sake. 
uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Uh, these are the sins of Sodom. They were arrogant and spoiled. They had everything they needed and still refused to help the poor and the needy. Does that give you a picture of the United States? The United States is the richest country in the world, or one of them. I think the European Union combined their, net, their gross domestic product is a slightly ahead of us, but we still have a whole lot more resources than the European Union as far as gross domestic product is concerned, which is around 14, actually above $14 trillion, which is a lot of money. But anyway, he says here that people that have the attitude of Sodom and Gomorrah are arrogant and spoiled. They had everything they needed and still refused to help the poor and the needy. Verse 50, they thought they were better than everyone else, and they did things I hate, and so I destroyed them. So that's what the contemporary English uh, version of the Bible states, the sins of Sodom. Let's look at the um, Bible and basic English version. It says, truly, this was the sin of your sister Sodom, pride, a full measure of food, a full measure, not a light measure of food, <laughs> food, and a uh, full measure of food. And then that Bible study that I did about the party is over, I, I proved without a doubt that uh, the United States is one of the countries in the world where we're full of measure of food. We're so, so much full of food that we're, we're one of the fattest nations in the world. And the comforts of wealth and peace, so pride, a full measure of food, the comforts of wealth and peace were seen in her and her daughters, and she gave no help to the poor or to those in need. Verse 50, they were full of pride and did what was disgusting to me, which includes homosexuality and all other sexual perversions. And so I took them away, as you have seen. So that is the sins of Sodom according to what the Bible says. Now, let's listen to what Jewish tradition says it is, too. And in this case, this is in line somewhat with what God states here in the Bible. And it says, what were the sins of Sodom? In the English language, the name of the city is synonymous with sexual perversion, as I just stated. This derives from the Torah's account. Torah means the teachings of God or the law of God and the law of God, of how the mob surrounding Lot's house demanded that he hand over his two guests to them that we may rape them. But the traditional Jewish sources, the Talmud, Midrashim, and commentaries have a different angle on the Sodom story. There the emphasis not on their sexual sins, but on their lack of hospitality, which is definitely in line with what uh, God states here, because he didn't state homosexuality as the first uh, sin of Sodom, but he said pride, a full measure of food, a comfort of wealth and, and peace, and they, they, uh, she gave no help to the poor or to those in need, which is in line with the fact of not having hospitality. Okay, so uh, the Talmud, Midrashim, and the commentaries have a different angle on the Sodom story. There, the emphasis is not on sexual sins, but on their lack of hospitality and their uh, opposition to anyone who dared share, share, that's the key here, share any of the city's wealth with a stranger. So they just totally ab abhorred the idea of, some, of, of sharing something with a stranger, which is definitely a sin. Uh, in, in the words of the Talmud, the men of Sodom were corrupted only in account of the good which God had lavished upon them. They said, since there comes forth bread out of our earth and, and it has the dust of gold, why should we suffer welfares or put up with welfares who come to us only to deplete our wealth? Come, let us abolish the practice of lodging travelers in our land. That, my friends, is a very wicked attitude. They even found a way to be charitable while ensuring that no stranger would benefit from their charity, which is another wicked attitude. If a poor man happened to come there, every resident gave him a dinar upon which he wrote his name, but no bread was sold to him. When he died, each came and took back his dinar. That is totally wicked, folks. 
They went so far as to the degree, whoever hands a piece of bread to a pauper or stranger shall be burned at the stake. No wonder God destroyed these people. Anyway, the story of Sodom appears in the Torah against the background of Abraham's life. And this is in the background of Abraham's life, remember. Indeed, Sodom is the antithesis of Abraham, who was portrayed by the Torah as a very personification of chesed or benevolence. Abraham gives of himself materially, providing food and lodgings to the wayfarers, and spiritually, sharing the truths he discovered, praying for Sodom. The Sodomite is intent on keeping for himself what is his. Let me focus on this, because there's people that wants to bless Abraham. Well, if you want to bless Abraham, you need to act like him, okay? And the Sodomite is intent on keeping for himself what is his, all right? So that is the antithesis of Abraham. So what's notable about the people of Sodom is that they are not thieves, as was the generation of the flood. Even when they deprive an interloper of his possessions, they are careful to do it in a legal manner. In fact, their basic philosophy seems quite benign. In the words of the ethics of the fathers, who can be more fair? Granted, the people of Sodom took this to quite repulsive extremes, but is every person who declares what is mine is mine and what is yours is yours a sodomite? All he's saying is, I won't touch what is yours, but don't expect me to give you anything. So that's a very selfish attitude, and unfortunately, folks, God states that a lot of us have that attitude within us, and we've got to get rid of it. And it says to the Jew, or I'm going to add to any righteous person, such fairness is the essence of evil, and I totally agree on that. So that's a very important um, resource there. But let's use the Bible here. Uh, at the beginning of our program, my program, I quote a very significant scripture, and I'm going to continue to use that as the beginning of my program because it explains the problems of the world right now and the reason why we're getting ready to have a war in the Middle East. Just, just right now, my wife emailed me an article that uh, U.S. warships are, um, let me look at it here before I misquote here. Whoop, I don't have it, but uh, basically uh, U.S., let me look at the email she sent me here. Yeah, it says uh, U.S.-Israeli warships cross Suez Canal toward the Red Sea. That's what's going on right now. And then another headline, Israel will stop them from crossing the border into Gaza. Israel fears Lebanese fast flotilla, Iranian flotilla leaving for Gaza. So there's a lot of activity right now going on in the Middle East. And hopefully I'll get around to talking about the six seals today, but I really had to, to, to uh, talk about the um, significance of Sodom and Gomorrah because the majority of people in the world have that attitude of Sodom where they don't want to share their possessions. They don't want to be selfish and think about themselves. And then right here in uh, the Bible in Basic English Version, a psalm of Asaph, God is in the meeting place of God. He is judging among the gods, or Elohim, a mighty judge. How long will you go on judging falsely, having respect for the persons of evildoers? And that's what's going on right now. Uh, and a lot of times rich people get off on, on uh, doing... Uh, sins that they should not be getting off on, you know, because they have the money. And, and verse 3 of Psalm 82, Give ear to the cause of the poor and the children without fathers. Let those who are troubled and in need have their rights. Verse 4, But the Savior of the poor and those who have nothing. I mean, be, I'm sorry. In verse 3 of Psalm 82, this is in the, uh, the Bible in basic English version. It says, the Bible in basic English, right? In verse 3 of Psalm 82, Give ear to the cause of the poor and the children without fathers. Let those who are troubled and in need have their rights. This is the attitude that Abraham had. In verse 4, Be the savior of the poor and those who have nothing. 
Take them out of the hand of the evildoers. That's, what, that's the attitude that Abraham had. Verse 5, they have no knowledge or sense. They go about in the dark. All the bases of the earth are moved. And that's the problem of the world right now. People don't care about one another like they should. Reading this in the King James Version. In verse 3, defend the poor and the fathers. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not. Neither will they understand. They walk all. They walk on in darkness, blindness, spiritual blindness. All, and because of this, colon, continue to thought, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. That's the reason why we have a problem, ladies and gentlemen, in the world. And I must preach this truth that I know is not being preached by too many people of the real reason why we're having problems. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty. He makes it waste and turns it upside down and scatters abroad the inhabitants thereof. And let me read this in the contemporary English version. It says, everyone will be scattered, in verse 2, including ordinary people and priests, slaves and slave owners, buyers and sellers, lenders and borrowers, the rich and the poor. Verse 3, the earth will be stripped bare and left that way. This is what the Lord has promised. This is not what Canard is promising. This is right in the Bible. Verse 4, the earth wilts away, its mighty leaders melt to nothing. The earth is polluted. And why is it polluted? Because its people disobeyed the laws of God, breaking their agreement, that was to last forever. And the reason why the earth isn't under a curse right now, verse 6, the earth is under a curse, is people are dying out because of their sins. That's the reason why we have a problem, ladies and gentlemen. And the way that we repent, as the great prophet, and many people forget that he was a prophet, uh, the great prophet, Yochanan, the Immersion, or John the Baptist, he stated the following. He stated the following in Luke chapter 3. Let's turn here. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, in the Contemporary English Version Bible, it says, Crowds of people came out to be immersed or baptized, but John said to them, You bunch of snakes, who warned you to run from the coming judgment? Verse 8. Do something to show that you really have given up your sins. Don't start saying that you belong to Abraham's family. That's something that the Jews today, you know, to this day, Abraham, 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 and I'm going to show you that Abraham wasn't a Jew. That's a lie. Abraham was not a Jew, and people, even the Jews today, teach that Abraham was the first Jew, and he wasn't. I'm going to show you who the first Jew was, according to the Bible. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Do something to show that you really have given up your sins. Don't start saying that you belong to Abraham's family. God can turn those stones into children of Abraham or for children for Abraham. Verse 9, an axe is ready to cut the trees down at their roots. Any tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into a fire. And that tree represents a human being, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 10, the crowds asked John, what should we do? And one of the greatest prophets of all time stated, in verse 11, John told them, if you have two coats, Give one to someone who doesn't have any. If you have food, share it with someone else. That is a reversal of the sodomite attitude, ladies and gentlemen. That is Abraham. If we truly want to bless Abraham, then we better act like him. And then verse 12, when tax collectors came to be baptized, they asked John, teacher, what should we do? In verse 13, John told them, don't make people pay more than they owe. Verse 14, 
Some soldiers asked him, and what about us? What do we have to do? John told him, don't force people to pay money to make you leave them alone. Be satisfied with your pay. Many people in this country and around the world are guilty of these sins. And that's the reason why the world is at a state of war right now. That's the reason why things are going to be happening right now unless we do what Jeremiah state, one of the other greatest prophets of all time, in Jeremiah 18, verse 7. If any nation does this, if any nation does this, in Jeremiah 18, verse 7, in the contemporary English version of the Bible, if I threaten to uproot and shatter an evil nation, any nation, and that nation turns from his evil, I will change my mind. So God is pleading through his true servants for an individual or a nation to repent and to change. And I showed you how you repent. You start sharing and caring about people. It's not, it's not about you, folks. It's about everybody. And it's about God. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 to 16. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 15 to 16. In the contemporary English version, Bible says, Our sacrifice is to keep offering praise to God in the name of Jesus. Verse 16, But don't forget to help others and share your possessions with them. Of course, again, this is a complete reversal of the Sodomite attitude. This is acting like Abraham. This, too, is like offering a sacrifice that pleases God. That was the picture, one of the major pictures of the sacrifices is to uh, give of yourself in a second. Romans 12, verse 1 says that we should be a living sacrifice. Life is about sharing each other's burdens and problems. It's not about, well, you got your problem, I got mine, and we go both our separate ways. That's not what life is about, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what life's about. And if you think that's what life's about, then I guarantee you, you're going to have some problems in your life all the way up until death. And then in verse 17, this is a significant story, obey your leaders and do what they say. They are watching over you and they must answer to God. This is in a reference, this is in the context of sharing your possessions and, and being a sacrifice. So don't make them sad as they do their work. Make them happy. Otherwise, they won't be able to help you at all. And that's something that wives need to listen to. And, 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 and uh, people that have bosses, because I don't know, wives, if you realize this, but your husband is your boss based on Ephesians chapter 5 and what it says. And Ephesians chapter 5, I'm not going to go over that. I have a complete Bible study on how husbands ought to treat their wives and how wives ought to treat their husbands. Look on the archives. But wives need to learn how to obey their husbands as, as they obey the Lord. Now, there's exceptional situations where the husband's not obeying God. They're not commanded not to. But in cases where they're asking you to do something wise, and you say, well, I'm just not going to do that, and it has nothing to do with violating the, the law of God, you're going to be cursing yourself. Okay, so so uh, and make things more difficult for you. So you know, I just need to explain that. Now, uh, John eight verse thirty eight to forty four. John chapter eight verse thirty eight to thirty four. Says, I am telling you what my father has shown me, just as you are doing what your father has taught you. Now, over a book, because everybody makes a big deal about Abraham, uh, John 8, verse 37, I know that you are from Abraham's family, yet you want to kill me because my message isn't really in your heart. In verse 38, I am telling you what my father has shown me, just as you are doing what your father has taught you. 
And we're going to understand who that father is in a minute. Verse 39, the people said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. So everything, Abraham is my father. Abraham is our father. That's, that's, you know, that we're okay because Abraham is our father. And then Jesus replied, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. And most of these folks didn't back then, and they don't today. Verse 40, instead, you want to kill me for telling you the truth that God gave me. Abraham never did anything like that. <laughs> Verse 41, but you are doing exactly what your father does. Don't accuse us of having someone else as our father, they said. We just have one father, and he is God. And Jesus answered, if God were your father, you would love me because I came down from God and only from him. He sent me. I did not come on my own. Verse 43, why can't you understand what I'm talking, what I'm talking about? Can't you stand to hear what I'm saying? So they, these folks couldn't even understand, and I can relate to this, because when I preach the same message uh, Yeshua, Jesus preaches, most people don't understand what I'm talking about. So I can relate to what he's saying here, because he said that would happen to his servants, too. You know, we would get the same reaction. Verse 42, why can't you understand what I'm talking about? Can't you stand to hear what I'm saying? They couldn't even understand what he was talking about. Verse 44, your father, and this is the reason why, because your father is the devil, and you do exactly what he wants. He has always been a murderer and a liar. There is nothing truthful about him. He speaks on his own, and everything he says is a lie. Not only is he a liar himself, but he is also a father of all lies. And in verse 45, everything I've told you is true, and you still refuse to have faith in me. And the true Yeshua, ladies and gentlemen, most people hate his message because he did not preach a message of doing away with the law of God, as most people have been brainwashed and deceived into believing that the law of Moses, which is the law of God, has been nailed to the cross. And by the way, my um, I have on my website the um, the uh, special Bible study on uh, is the law of Moses the law of God. I am, implore you and encourage you to listen to that. It's, very, it's a very eye-opening Bible study, and it will help you understand the truth of the Bible and what it says about his law. So I, I would encourage you highly to review that. I, I did a lot of hard work in looking up uh, scriptures on that. Now let's turn to, because, you know, we, I'm tired of hearing this bless Abraham stuff. And, and uh, yeah, we need to bless Abraham. I'm not in denial of that, but I don't think we understand when we, we say bless Abraham what that means. So uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse of thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So let's let's take a good look at this and see what it's really saying here. In Genesis, because people, especially Jews, use this and say, well, that's just applying to us only. It's not. Uh, I'm not going to prove that to you here in a minute. Now, now, what does bless mean in the original Hebrew? Bless means to, it says to kneel, to, uh, to congratulate, to salute, to thank, to praise. So that's what bless means, is to praise someone, okay? So we are commanded to praise Abraham. Now, Abraham is dead, folks, okay? So his children, his descendants, we must praise too and treat with respect and salute, okay? So I hope you know where I'm going at here. In other words, Abraham, and since Abraham's not here now, then his children, his descendants, we must treat with respect, okay? And we must thank them and salute them and praise them. So how do we do that? Well, we help them. We care about them. 
we share with them. That's how we bless Abraham, because Abraham is dead now. And, and, and see, the Jews apply this correctly in a sense, but they think it's only applying to them. If you treat the Jewish people kindly and, and faithfully, you will be blessed. But if you don't, you will be cursed, just like that old woman that looked like a, I hate to say it, but she did look like a wicked person, uh, especially the way she, she, she had talked about the Jews the wrong way and stated that, hey, they should get out of uh, Palestine. And I don't know if she's read her Bible lately, but uh, God stated that that land is Israel. It's not just Judah's, but all the rest of the tribes of Israel. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about there, go to www.beasinboy.org, and it'll explain to you that the Western nations of the day, including the United States and Canada, are of the tribes of Israel. It's not just Judah. Okay? So, so... That's, that, this is what this means when you bless Abraham. You bless his children. And the Jews only think it's only referring to them. It's not. It's referring to all the tribes of Israel. And Abraham's seed has been integrated with so many different nations, okay, as I'm going to prove to you here in a minute. Now, in Romans 4, verse 16. Romans 4, verse 16. Romans 4, verse 16, states this in the uh, King James Version. It says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of promise might... In Romans 4, verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, okay, in other words, Israelites, but to, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay, so Abraham is the father of us all, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, not just the Jews, but many nations, before him whom ye believe, even God who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. Okay? So Abraham is the father of many nations, not just the Jewish tribe. All right, so, and it says right here in verse 18, who against the hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. All right, so that's what the Bible says about that. And then in Galatians 3, verse 6 to 9. Galatians 6, verse, uh, Galatians 3, rather, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if Abraham is the father of us all, in other words, our ultimate example, okay, then we must also believe God, and we must have it accounted to us also as righteousness. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is Psalm 119, verse 172. It's the commandments of God, okay? And verse 7, Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So if you did Abraham's work, which faith has something to do with, then you are considered the children of Abraham, ladies and gentlemen. It's just as simple as that. And then verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel unto Abraham. Now this is the gospel. And these shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, So then they which of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. All right, so Abraham is linked here with this idea of caring for the poor and sharing because Abraham did that, ladies and gentlemen, 
And if you're not doing that, you are not a child of Abraham, and you have no right whatsoever to be blessing Abraham or, or whatever you think you're doing. If, you, if you're blessing Abraham, you will be doing the works of Abraham. You will be doing the works of Abraham. You will not only support the Jews and try to help them out, but, but support and help anybody that has a sincere desire to want to obey God and do the works of Abraham as well. Now, let's prove that Abraham was not a Jew, because many people think that he was, and unfortunately the Jews got this wrong. Genesis chapter 29. We've got to always go to the Bible to get the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Genesis chapter 29, verse 35. Now remember, Judah was born way after Abraham, okay? And Genesis 29, verse 35, And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Okay, so this is scriptural proof that Abraham was not a Jew, folks. Okay? The Jews come from the tribe of Judah. All right? So let's, let's clarify that. Uh, when you bless Abraham, you're not only blessing the Jews, but you're blessing all nations that came out of him, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, plus any heathen or pagan or someone that's cut off from God that repents and starts to share and care about people and gets immersed and receives the power of the Holy Spirit, they also become a child of Abraham. And you are commanded to bless also those people. And then, of course, Abraham took care of strangers, even people that are lost by God. We need to also take care of them as well. But I know that prophecy in Genesis chapter 12 is specifically talking about the children of Abraham. And we must care about the children of Abraham and also others. And that's what that's talking about. All right, so I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, realize when people say bless Abraham, you understand what you're doing, okay, and understand what you're asking. When you, you're blessing Abraham, you're praising Abraham, you're, you, you uh, have the, the attitude of wanting to help Abraham through helping his children because Abraham is not here. He's in heaven, okay, so we can't praise and honor him by helping him that way, but we can do it by pray, uh, honoring and helping his children, just like, uh, Jesus, Yeshua said, if, if, if Abraham was your father and you're supposed to praise and honor your father, right, then you would do the works of Abraham. So if we want to praise and honor Abraham, then we better do his works. If we don't do his works, we're a hypocrite. So anyway, I wanted to explain that, and I hope that those who have been saying, oh, let me bless Abraham, you know, you understand what you're doing now. All right, so what does the Bible say is going to happen in the next few years? And what do we need to do to prepare for the tough times ahead? Now, I'm going to use the remaining 30 minutes to talk about this, hoping that you understand why the world is in the state that it is now. Now, I talked about this last week. Major events that have occurred since September 29, 2008, which was around the time of the Feast of Trumpets. And I do explain what the Feast of Trumpets is uh, in, a, in a Bible study on my archives. But anyway, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 777.68. That was the biggest single-day point loss ever in the history of the Dow Jones Industrial. That is a very significant event. Now, what is significant about 777? Now, in the book of Revelation, we're going to go over today, uh, the, the seals. The judgments of God consist of seven seals. I think next week I'll talk about the seven trumpets, and then uh, the seven vials I'll talk about the following week. The seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven, the seven seals, rather, the judgments of God consist of the seven seals, 
the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. So they're divided into three sets of seven. Also, the, the biggest point drop in the history of the Wall Street happened right before, as I stated, the Feast of Trumpets, which is one of the God's holy days described in Leviticus chapter 23. The Feast of Trumpets pictures a time of judgment leading to the return of Yeshua Messiah or Jesus Christ. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, God is warning the world that since September 29, 2008, his judgments of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues have been initiated. There's no other possible explanation for that for, for the Dow Jones Industrial to, to end at 777 around the Feast of Trumpets. God is telling us something. Currently, the seven seals of, of Revelation chapter 6 have been initiated since September 29, 2008. Now, I don't know to what extent, but I know they have been initiated. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 14, let's turn there. Ezekiel chapter 14. Because I don't know the exact day and hour, but I know that we're at the end, folks. The end of us trying to rule ourselves. And thank God for that. Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read this a contemporary English version of the Bible. Uh, okay. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 12, in a contemporary English version of the Bible. The Lord's God said, Ezekiel, son of man, suppose an entire nation sins against me, and I punish it by destroying the crops. And see, he always goes to the food first, and that's what's going on in this country. Uh, uh, it's really, you know, we lose our jobs, and jobs is related to feeding ourselves. And that's what he does first to punish us. And I punish it by destroying the crops and letting his people and livestock starve to death. And it ain't got to that point yet, but it will if we don't repent. Verse 14, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were living in that nation, their faithfulness would not save anyone but themselves. So don't, you can't count on somebody else's righteousness, folks, to save you. Verse 15, oh, suppose I punish a nation by sending wild animals to eat people and scare away every passerby so that the land becomes a barren desert. As surely as I live, I promise that even if these three men lived in that nation, which is Noah, Daniel, and Job, their own children would not be spared. The three men would live, but the land would be an empty desert. So we're all responsible for protecting ourselves, folks, uh, and we should try to help others, but... We can't obey for someone else. That's what he's saying. You have to learn how to obey on your own here. You have to, you're responsible for your sins. Verse 17, oh, suppose I send an enemy to attack a sinful nation and kill his people and livestock. If these three men were in that nation when I punished it, not even their children would be spared. Only the three men would live. And suppose I am so angry that I send a deadly disease to wipe out the people and livestock of a sinful nation. Verse 20 of Ezekiel 14, again, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were living there, I, the Lord promise that the children of these faithful men would also die. Only the three of them would be spared. Verse 21, I am the Lord God, and I promise to punish Jerusalem severely. I will send war, starvation, wild animals, and deadly disease to slaughter his people and his livestock. And this is synonymous with the um, four horses of the apocalypse, as I'm going to go over today briefly. All right, so I just wanted to read that to you, and I know there's cases where if somebody sins, everyone is is, is cursed, and there, there, there's extenuating circumstances with that, but this is a situation where he's talking about when he sins his plagues that you can't depend on somebody's righteousness to save you. That's what he's talking about there. Okay, so what do these seals represent? Well, the first seal represents worldwide deception by a new world order government or whatever it's going to be called in the future. 
The second seal represents war. The third seal represents economic instability. The fourth seal represents billions of people dying because of deception, war, economic instability, and diseases. The fifth seal represents the Great Tribulation period. The sixth seal represents the start of the Day of the Lord, which is a one-year period of judgment leading to the literal day that Messiah or Christ comes back. So that's what these seals represent. Let's, let's uh, first of all read what these seals are, and then we'll have Yeshua Messiah unlock these seals, uh, the definition of the meaning of these seals in Matthew chapter 24. All right, so Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it states this. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and beheld a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, what is this? Let's turn to Matthew 24, verse 5. Okay, Matthew 24, verse 5. Let's go in verse 3, the setting of this. This is by the, uh, the Mount of Olives across from the temple at the time when Jesus uh, did this. But the context of this chapter is this. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is across from the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Of course, it's talking about his second coming, and that's proved by the fact that they're stating the end of the world and of civilization, of man trying to rule himself, which he felt miserably. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So the first seal represents worldwide deception, religious deception, all kinds of deception. The second seal, what does that represent? All right, let's turn to Revelation chapter 6 again. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse Three And when he had opened the second seal, I heard in, second, in the second beast said, Come and see. Verse 4, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat therein to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So I think this is pretty obvious what this horse is, but Christ does give us some insight on this. In verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And in verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. So nation, that should be translated families or tribes, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be family strifes because of religion and because uh, of all kinds of other issues. And kingdom against kingdom. Okay. So that's what the second seal represents. Now, the fifth seal. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. And in verse 6, verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, in my margin here, it states, In verse 6, well, actually, let me look at the, uh, because I, I, I kind of like uh, what they state here in this, uh, the commentary here in the uh, study Bible, King James. It's in verse 2. The first seal initiates the worldwide conquest by a false messiah, the anti-messiah. He will be the final Gentile world ruler. 
this horseman is not the same as the one described in, in verse 19:11, which is Christ at his second coming. So this is false deception, secular as well as religion. Um, the second seal brings war and a lack of peace. The sword represents armed conflict. And then in uh, verses 5 to 6, which is the third seal, the third seal represents inflation and famine. Uh, we are experiencing the, the greatest inflation that we've ever had probably in the history of the world at this point. I mean, it's getting so bad right now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it says the balances of scales are related to commerce and trade. The word penny, better transliterated, denarius, represents about one day's wages. Wheat and barley was considered necessities of life. A measure was about one quart. The price given is about ten times what is normal. Okay, so it's telling you that, it's telling you two things here, that the necessities are going to be very hard to come by, which tells you that you're going to have job problems, which we have in this country and, and, and worldwide, and that uh, people are going to be focused more on the resources, things that really count, groceries. And, and then for businesses, things that really count is lead generation. Without leads or people that are interested in their services or products, then a business will die. A human being will die if there's no food. So anyway, this prophecy tells us that the basic necessities are going to be more focused on than ever. And that's the time that we're living in right now, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what does Christ say about this in Matthew chapter 24 to give us more insight on what these seals are? He says, and there shall be famines. Okay? Famines. And when you have famines, that means that you don't have enough money to feed yourself. Because if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Well, if you can't work, you can't eat. Don't have no food. That's what causes famine. So, that is the third seal. Now, what is the fourth seal? The fourth seal, in verse 7 of uh, Revelation chapter 6, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. In verse 8, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed unto him, and power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth, about 1.6 billion people, approximately. Okay? About a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth, which is similar to what I quoted you in Ezekiel chapter 14. So that's what that represents. And in the commentary here, it states, A fourth seal brings death to a fourth of the population of the earth through war, famine, and pestilence, a combination of all those, those horsemen, the, the, the three. Death takes lives and Hades holds them for judgment. All right, so that is the fourth seal, and Christ says about this, pestilences. All right, And then he adds to this earthquakes in various places. So these are the, the first four seals. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All right, Now, what is the fifth seal? And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. All right? And, and verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And verse 11, And white robes were given unto them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So that's the fifth seal. Now what does Christ say what the fifth seal is? Now, in verse 9 of Matthew 24, And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And verse 10, And then shall be, many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, 
and shall deceive many. And why? Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So this fifth seal is really the start of the tribulation period. And and this will, because uh, cause he said these are the beginning of sorrows, in verse 9 it breaks off into uh, the tribulation period here. And and the tribulation period, of course, will involve the persecution of the saints, which that's talked about in many different places in the Bible. And let me read this in a different uh, version here so that you'll understand it for clarity's sake here. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 9. Uh, in the contemporary English version, it states, um, but this is just the beginning of troubles, those first four seals, and then the fifth seal is not the beginning of trouble, but it's real trouble. <laughs> it says, uh, you will be arrested and punished and even killed. Because of me, you will be hated by people of all nations. Because of him, anyone that follows Yeshua is going to be hated by most people of all nations. Remember that. Let me underscore that again. Because of Yeshua, says you, the followers of Yeshua, will be hated by people of all nations. Verse 10, many will give give up and will betray and hate each other. So there's going to be some betrayal. People that act like they're with God and then all of a sudden their true colors show when they get food taken away from them. That's, what, that's going to happen. In verse 11, many false prophets will come and fool a lot of people. Many, not a few, many false prophets during this time period of the tribulation will come and fool a lot of people. Verse 12, evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. And because of this evil, it will cause and influence many people to stop loving. Oh, I can't make any money. Oh, I have problems. And that'll, instead of being strong and, and enduring to the end, as the Bible tells us to do, he who overcomes will inherit uh, the kingdom of God. It doesn't say he who has it easy will inherit. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 12, evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. Verse 13, but if you keep on being faithful right to the end, you will be saved. That's what it states there, okay? So you have to be faithful until the end, okay? You have to be faithful until the end. That's very important, ladies and gentlemen. You can't just give up just because things are not going your way. You have to, to, to make sure that you, 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 you do what you need to do. Whatever situation you're in, you have to learn how to be content. And in verse 7, I like this in the... In the um, the scriptures version of the Bible. It says, For nation shall rise against nation and reign against reign, and there shall be scarcities of food and daily disease. That's what famine is, scarcities of food. So I just wanted to read that to you. And then in the, uh, where is that version? Okay, there we go. Um, At that time, and this is in the complete Jewish Bible version, at that time you will be arrested and handed over to be punished and put to death, and all peoples will hate you because of me. At that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other. At this Around, around this time, the time we're living in now, many false prophets will appear and fool many people, and many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah or the law from God. That's an excellent translation. When you distance away yourself from God, then your love for God and for other people will grow cold. Verse 13, but whoever holds out to the end will be delivered. We've got to hold out. We have to hold out, ladies and gentlemen. 
If you don't hold out, you're not going to make it. That That's the key to that. Now, verse 12, here's the sixth seal. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a, a fig tree cast of her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of the places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and, and the mighty men, and every bomb, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him, so God is going to actually allow you to see uh, his face <laughs> in a shining fashion where you can't hardly see it, uh, sits on the throne, and then from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is coming, who shall be able to stand? And this is talking about, of course, the start of the day of the Lord. And Christ talks about this here. And, you know, all throughout, uh, let me see here, Revelation chapter 6. Yeah, all throughout Matthew chapter, and starting in verse 9, he's talking about the tribulation period there. All right, and which is the fifth seal. Now, in verse 29, which proves to what I told you is true, he says, in verse 20, immediately after the tribulation of those days, so we know that the fifth seal is the tribulation period, Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and what involves the tribulation? Well, starting in verse 9 tells you what, what the tribulation period will involve or the, lead, the, the, the or the days leading to the tribulation. All right, and in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. All right, and, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, which is described in Revelation chapter 6. Okay, so, uh, and, and the verses 12 to 17. All right. Now, the seventh seal. What is the seventh seal? The seventh seal is the initiation of the seven trumpets. And in verse 1, it says, When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a space of a half an hour. Okay. And it says, And I saw the seven angels in Revelation 8, verse 1. And I saw the seven angels were stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints, the praise, the blessings, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, uh, ascended up before God and out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire on the altar and cast it upon the earth, and there were voices and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seventh seal, seal, rather, the seventh seal is the unveiling of the seven trumpets, which I will talk about next week. Okay, so we understand what these six seals are, and to prove to you that the day of the Lord is a year, let's look at um, Isaiah chapter 34. Isaiah chapter 34. Okay, where is it here? I'm going 
look at it in the King James Version. Okay. Isaiah 34, verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And read that in the contemporary English version of the Bible. It says, The Lord has chosen a year and a day when he will take revenge and come to Zion's defense. Now, when you look at um, the initiation of the day of the Lord, which is the sixth seal, and you look at the trumpet plagues, one of the trumpet plagues says that it will take five months. So we know that obviously the day of the Lord is an initial one year leading to the actual day of the Lord when he returns on the earth. And I think that's the fifth trumpet here where uh, it states, uh, let me find it here. here yeah. Right here in Revelation 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. So the fifth angel of the, of the fifth trumpet. And in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 9, to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. So obviously the the time period of the day of the Lord must last a year, just based on that scripture, because you have a plague that's going to last five months. Okay, so going back here again to repeat, the first seal represents worldwide deception by a new world order government. So the first seal represents worldwide deception by a new world order government. I believe that this was initiated September 29, 2008, by the fact that God allowed the stock market to miraculously end at 777. To me, that was God telling me and his other servants, his true servants around the world, that he has initiated the time of judgment, which is described here in the book of Revelation. The first seven seals have been initiated. I don't know at what stage each of them are right now. Only God knows that. But I do know, I really strongly feel, that he has initiated the judgment period, which, is, which begins with the seven seals. And we definitely are. And see, these four seals have gone on throughout history, but they are really escalating right now. That's what I'm trying to say. And the first seal represents worldwide deception by a new world order government. The second seal represents war. The third seal represents economic instability, which we are experiencing right now like we never have in the history of the world. The fourth seal represents billions of people dying because of deception, war, economic instability, and diseases. The fifth seal represents the Great Tribulation period, which is a time when the saints of God will be wiped out and, and destroyed, a lot of them. Uh, the sixth seal represents the start of the day of the Lord, which is a one-year period of judgment, leading to the literal day that Messiah comes back. And then, of course, the seventh seal represents the, the start of the seven trumpets, which I will describe next week. So it's very important to understand God's cycle of judgment, which is revealed in the book of Revelation of seven seals, seven trumpets, seven plagues. To help you remember this, think of STP, P as in Paul, STP, which symbolizes the seven judgments of God, um, which are broken into three categories, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues. Okay? So I hope I've explained this to you in a clear, concise fashion that you'll understand. And we're going to talk about the uh, the trumpets next week. And and I just wanted to read over something here um, before I close here. You can get this at Koning's uh, World Watch Daily, uh, watch.org. 
And he has an interesting article here. I'm going to read some of it here. It says, the update and commentary. And it says, timeline of 2010 and 2019 events on the calendar that could be very significant. And he says, major earth cycles pertaining to Israel, Jerusalem, and the United States are beginning to occur in 2010, with many converging in 2011. Eric Haddock had shared that with us, with more coming from him soon. AccuWeather's chief hurricane meteorologist, Jeff, Joe Bastardi, by the way, he's a fun guy to look at. I, I implore you to go to his website. He, he seems to enjoy his job a lot, and I, I just I just like the way he presents the weather, though. You ought to, you ought to look at uh, how he does it and so forth. I think you'll get a kick out of it. But anyway, um, Joe Bastardi predicts a total of 16 to 18 storms this hurricane season that begins June 1st and ends November 30th. To put that in perspective, only eight years, only eight years, and 160 years of records have had 16 or more storms in a season. The back-to-back blood-red lunar eclipses on the first day of Passover in Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, in 2014 and 2015 is very significant. The three previous sets of back-to-back blood-red lunar eclipses occurred right after or at the time of a very trying time for the Jews with the last two being at the time of two major wars in Israel. Let me repeat that. Three previous sets of back-to-back blood-red lunar eclipses occurred right after or at the time of a very trying time for Jews, with the last two being at the time of the two major wars in Israel. The blood-red moons occurred on the first day of Passover in Sukkot in the two years after the end of the Spanish Inquisition in 1942. That's between 19, I mean, 14, I'm sorry, in 1492. That was when the Spanish Inquisition occurred. Uh, 1493 to 1494, the two years after Israel's War of Independence in 1948, between 1949 and 1950, and the same year and a year after the Six-Day War in 1967, 1967 and 1968. The 2014 and 2015 back-to-back blood-red moons on the first day of Passover in Sukkot will be the last time this century and the eighth time since Jesus Christ was on earth. So I'm going to end it there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to pick up next week, and we're going to talk about the seven trumpets that are revealed in the book of Revelation. May God bless you, praise you, and and may uh, God take care of you and, and love you, and may God protect you, and I will speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.